0: Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. We started this series a couple of weeks ago. We're calling it Ask, and we're just learning how to be more effective when we go to the Lord. You know, one of the things that irritates me as a dad is when my kids want something, but they don't actually ask for it. If when they just say, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm cold, what, you know, whatever their complaint is, the, that bothers me. I don't jump to solve their, their problem. I try to instruct them. Well, it's, it's too bad you don't know how to ask for a drink because like, they're, they're not asking. They're just, they're just proclaiming. They're just complaining, really, is what they're doing. I'm thirsty. Well, uh, Thanks for letting me know, uh, you know. If you, would, if you would ask, Dad, could you, would you please get me a drink? Well, now that's something I can work with. But I want them to make a request and there's a way that I want them to do it. When we go to the Lord, of course you can pour out your heart, but there's a difference between asking and praying and lamenting and complaining. God doesn't seem to be very fond of people that, that complain to him, but he does invite us to come and to make requests and to ask. And so we, we've been studying God's word, studying this prayer, this model prayer that God has given us so we can learn how to pray effectively. In Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. There's so much in that verse alone that there are things that God desires to have opened up in your life, but it doesn't just happen on its own. It takes someone who's willing to knock. There's things that God wants you to discover. There's things that he wants you to see, experiences he wants you to have, opportunities he wants you to find, but it takes someone who's willing to, seek. There's things that God has he wants to give you, but you'll never have them unless you ask. There's got to be people that'll ask, that'll do some seeking, that'll do some knocking. So that's that's who you and I are. Amen. We're going to be people that ask effectively, that seek and we find, that knock and have things open wide up to us, to have our community open up to us, to have opportunities, jobs, opportunities to share the gospel open up. It doesn't just happen. You and I bear responsibility to seek, to ask, and to knock. So one of the problems is that people don't pray. You need to have time where you pray. Amen. You need to carve out time. And I'm not just saying, Lord, bless this food. Lord, help me find a parking space. You can pray those kinds of prayers. That's fine. But you also need to carve out time every day to spend in the secret place, to spend in fellowship, building your relationship, casting your cares on the Lord, seeking and advancing God's kingdom. So we looked at James chapter four, the first few verses in James chapter four, lets us know that some people have not and it's because they ask not. Some people just don't pray. But then he goes on to tell us, and when you ask, you still don't have, because when you ask, you ask amiss. So you need to spend time asking. But there's also some learning we can do to make sure that we're asking appropriately. Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples asked them, would you teach us, teach us to pray? When they asked that, Jesus was ready with a response to teach them how to pray. Teaching is important. To receive good teaching, it is important. That that was the answer for their problem. Not just practice makes perfect. They needed to be taught how to do it. When you read through God's word, you'll see that there are a lot of different kinds of prayer. There's prayer of petition, prayer of supplication. There's intercession. There's prayer of consecration. There's a prayer of of faith. there's, There's prayer in a way that's just praising God. All kinds of different prayers. But when Jesus was asked, hey, would you teach us how to pray? He didn't say, well, what, what, what kind of prayer? Which one do you want to learn? He gave us a model prayer that has elements that will help us be effective no matter what kind of prayer that you, that you are praying. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter six. We've been looking at this model prayer that Jesus gave and just kind of breaking it down. It's not a prayer that we just recite. You can recite it, but that's not the point that Jesus was making. It's not something to become legalistic about. He was giving us a model, key elements, things to have in our mind in our heart as we approach prayer to help us be more effective. That's the reason Jesus gave us this prayer to teach us to be more effective. So we've talked about a number of different things. We talked about the importance of approaching God as Father. He said, pray in this manner, our Father. So much revelation just from that word alone. He's your Father. He's the eternal God, he's the creator, he is almighty God, he's all of those things, but the angle of approach, if you want to be effective in prayer, is to come to him, not first and foremost as those things, to come to him first and foremost as your heavenly father. Then we approach him in prayer to be most effective, it's not created thing to creator, or temporal thing to eternal God, it's son to my Abba Father, daughter to your heavenly dad. That, that's who he tells us to approach him. So one is your, your way of approaching. Approach him as your heavenly father. So, so much Jesus taught on elements of understanding the fatherhood, the father nature of God our father in heaven. We talked about this last week, that that part we says in heaven, he's located someplace that you can't see him. He's located in the spiritual realm. So as you begin to pray, you're leaving the physical realm. You're, you're no longer dealing with just how you feel, what temperature the room is, how hungry you are, all those, all of those things. You're setting that aside and you're engaging at a higher level and it requires faith that you're You're engaging on a level of faith, and it's important to know that. The fact that you're praying, sitting in your room, standing in your room, kneeling at an altar, whatever it is, and talking to someone that you can't see, know in your heart, that means you are a man of faith. You're a woman of faith. The enemy will try to discourage you. Well, you're praying, it's too bad you don't have any faith. The fact that I'm praying shows that I do have faith. So you you can continue in that prayer, engaged with confidence, faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said, can move one mountain and toss it into the sea. So you're not a crazy person, you're a faith person by the fact that you're standing and talking to someone in another realm. You're engaging in the spiritual. We talked about that. Engaging in faith. We don't go by how we feel. I don't feel like this prayer is very strong. It doesn't matter how you feel. We're going by the word of God. We're engaging in faith, not according to your senses. This prayer feels dry. This service feels cold. We're not going by those things. Amen. We're walking according, according to the Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We talked about that last week. So we have approach, we engage with faith, and we have reverence. That he allows us to call him Father and to know him. And we really are his children. It's real. That the, the Almighty God adopted us as his children. You're his son, you're his daughter. But don't allow that to be something that puts us in this casual, uh, sloppy attitude that we still revere him and honor him. Just because he's your father doesn't mean he ceases to be God. We approach him with confidence and boldness. We don't approach him with arrogance and pride. Amen. We we still honor him and revere him. You receive from people at the level that you value them and respect them. We, We respect him as almighty God, the one who spoke and the universe came into existence. He just allows you to also know him as father. So we have approach, we have faith, we have reverence, your kingdom come, your will be done. Then we step into priority. His kingdom comes first. Before I get into other things, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. We talked about the importance of forgetting about yourself and putting your heart on God. When you forget about you, God remembers you. Jesus said later in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek his kingdom first and all these other things will be added unto you. So God's kingdom comes first. We begin to pray that things would happen. That lets us know also that God's will doesn't just happen on its own. Do you know that? That God's will doesn't just happen. You can't look around in your life and look around the world today and see things happen and just shrug and say, well, you know, that must be God's will. No, that's not the way things work that we live in a fallen world, that we have a very real enemy that is affecting people's lives. That's why it's important that we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. God doesn't just force his way into situations. We, that, that's the importance of prayer. We invite him in. We line things up through the power through the power of prayer. There, there are things that God hates. The Bible talks about it. things that he hates, things that are abomination. They happen all the time. That's, God isn't some twisted individual that is doing the very things that he despises. There's, There's an enemy. So God's will doesn't just happen. It also, when we pray that way, it gives us the standard for where we should be setting our faith. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. How? slightly better than what I see around me. No, as it is in heaven, that's the standard that we're supposed to set our faith. The way things are done in heaven, God, let that, let it be that way in my life. Let it be that way in this community. Let it be that way in my marriage where there's peace and there's joy and there's health and there's, there's unity the way it is in heaven. That's the standard for where we believe. So we've talked about these different aspects we'll continue. We'll break it down the next couple of verses today. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, Father, we love you. Father, thank you that we can know you. Thank you for your word. As you'd speak to our hearts today, Lord, I pray you'd bless us with eyes to see, ears to hear, a spirit of revelation and understanding so that we can know you more. Holy Spirit, come and teach and reveal things and help us to be good stewards of what you show us, good hearers, that we'd be doers. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Matthew chapter 6, we're up to verse 11, which says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We've already acknowledged him as being our father, and part of that fatherhood nature is that he is a giver, that he wants to give, so we, we can proceed with a confident expectation that he wants to meet our needs and take good care of us he's a good he's a good father this this request give us our today our daily bread comes comes after requesting his kingdom comes first. So all, all of our requests have to be in al- alignment with his kingdom and his will. So it's good when you're making requests to ask yourself the question, why do I want this? Why do I, why am I asking God, God for it? Why do I want a spouse? Why do I want a child? Why do I want that, that promotion? Those are fine requests, but, but you've got to know that it's in line with God's kingdom. Father, I ask for a spouse. Your word says he who finds a wife, he who finds a spouse finds a good thing. So in line with your word, know what you have to stand on, it's in line with God's will. God, your word says children are a gift from you. So Lord, I I ask that you bless me with children. God, I know that you want to see me prosper, that you rejoice when your children prosper. So Father, I pray your favor would come on me and see promotion. Lord, I'd be able to set my heart more to the kingdom of God. I'd be able to, to give more, attach your desires to the kingdom, to the kingdom of God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God is not looking to hold good things back from his children. And the fact that you took time to pray for his kingdom and his will and lined yourself up with the heart of God shows that you qualify that he's not going to hold anything back. Everything, everything good God makes available to you and we acquire it through prayer and asking. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You know, God cares about you and he wants to remove burdens. He's a good father. And sometimes we downplay this aspect of his nature in the name of spirituality and just being religious, that we're not really interested in getting anything from God. We just, your kingdom come and we leave it right there. But God invites us to come and make our requests. God, you know what I I need. You know what I desire. He allows us to come and cast our cares on him. Flip over a page to Matthew chapter seven. We've referred to this a few times in this series. We'll go ahead and read this, this passage. John or Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse seven, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those to those who ask of him God desires to give good gifts. He is a good father. And just like an earthly father, a halfway decent one, when his child makes a request, he wants to respond and meet that need. He's not trying to pull a switcheroo or see what he can give him that's less than. A father has a desire to satisfy the requests of his children. There's a giving nature built in to even earthly fathers. How much more so your father in heaven has a desire, not just a willingness, okay, if you keep pestering me about it, I guess. He has a desire to to give. Earthly dads, you have a desire to give to your children. One of my daughters has a birthday coming up next month. I've asked her multiple times, hey, what do you want for your birthday? Tell me, what kind of stuff do you want? What can I get you? It wouldn't be pleasing to me as her dad if she took the attitude Father, I know that you're busy with many things. I know you have a lot of concerns. And so I I won't, I won't pester you. I'm not going to bother you with making any requests. I'm the the one asking her, would you make a request of me? I want to do something for you. Give me an opportunity to show how much I love you, how you're special to me. That that attitude wouldn't be pleasing to me. It would be frustrating to me. So it's a a twisted religious mindset that thinks that we're bothering God. He invites us to come and to make our requests. Jesus built this in as part of our prayer life that we could bring our concerns and bring them before him. God wants to bless you. Look at the life of David. God blessed David so much. And then David got himself in a mess when he slept with Bathsheba and committed adultery. He ended up arranging for her husband to be killed. Made a terrible mistake when he did that. And when God confronted David about it, do you remember how God confronted him? He says, I gave, I gave you the house of your master. He gave him Saul's house. He gave him his throne. He said, I, I gave you the kingdom. Look at all that I've done for you. And then as he proceeds, he doesn't say, and you... Filthy, un, you're so ungrateful. He says, if that hadn't been enough, I would have given you much more. That was, that was his heart. I would have given you more. What did David need to do? Come to him and present his requests. When there's something he felt like he was lacking, something he felt like he was off, not try to go and acquire it through his own means. God was confronting him and say, why in the world would you turn to sin to meet your needs? When you, I, I've shown myself faithful all your life. My heart is to give. Bring those requests to me instead of getting yourself in trouble trying to to satisfy them by following sinful desires. He said, I would have given you much more. That's his same attitude towards you. God wants to bless you. God wants to put you in a good position. God wants to satisfy you, not with the things of this world and what sin can provide because that stuff goes bad and ends up leaving you worse off than you started. He wants to satisfy you with good things. But we've got to look to him as our source. My Father in heaven, give me today my daily bread. I'm looking to you. You are my provider. That's what he invites us to do. Philippians chapter four, verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. That's what we're instructed to do. Let your requests be made known to God. If there's something you have a desire of, if there's something that's bothering you, if there's something that's causing you anxiety, don't stay anxious about it. Let your requests be made known to God and let him meet that need. Let him give you a peace that guards your heart, guards your mind. You've got to be faithful to come and to ask so he can give you good things. First Peter chapter five, verse six says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Prayer, prayer is an act of humility. When you're not just taking things, figuring it out on your own, you can just handle it yourself, you're bringing it to God. God, I know I, I can't do anything on my own. I need your help. You're not being proud, you're being humble. Lord, I invite you to come. You're my provider, you're my source. It says to humble yourself where? When you humble yourself like that under the mighty hand of God. When you approach God like that, God God puts his mighty hand on you. For some people, that sounds judgmental and scary. When God's mighty hand is on you, you are in a good place. It's the same mighty hand the Bible says, but with a mighty hand, he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the same mighty hand he wants to come on you and come on your situation to exalt you in due time, just have you have breakthrough and provision. But you've got to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting all of your care upon him. He cares for you. He cares about you. He cares. He cares for you. Casting all of your cares upon him. That, that word casting means to throw or to release. He's talking about prayer. When I come to God with my needs, the things that are weighing me down, I'm supposed to cast them on the Lord. If you're going to throw something and you fail to release it, you've, you've failed to throw it, right? Would you just, you're just going through the motion. You ever, you ever play fetch with your dog? You've got the tennis ball, and then you decide you're going to pull a fast one on your dog. You feel like you're clever fooling a, an animal. You, and you, you go through the motion, and the dog's looking around. And you, you never let go of it. You just keep faking him out. and He's looking. And he eventually catches on. That's what some people are like in their prayer life that they go through the motion, they go through the motion, but there's never actually release. They walk away from that prayer time still holding on to the thing that was weighing them down in the first place. It's a lack of trust. He says, don't, don't just to come and wave your arm, go through the motions of prayer, to cast your care, you've got to let go and throw them. And God is smarter than your dog. He's not fooled by, by your motions. He knows that you're still holding on to it. And until you let it out of your hand, you keep it from coming under the mighty hand of God so he can allow that peace that exaltation to come in in your lives. Cast your cares. If you want to know the care of God, you've got to turn them over to him and let go of them. There's an element of trust. That's where the humility comes in. It's arrogance to walk away from that prayer time, still holding on to that trouble, still holding on to that anxiety because you think God can't be trusted with it. And you've got a better way of solving that problem. God, here's what I'm dealing with. Just want to let you know, Uh, I'll be going on my way now to try to solve this problem myself. God, I need your help. I'm so inadequate. I'm, I'm in so far over my head. God, I'm just turning this over to you because I have a faith and a confidence. One, that you care for me. What, I trust that you care for me and I trust that your care for me is better than my care for me. Amen. Casting your cares on the Lord because he cares. He cares for you. What a good father. Amen. What a good father. He cares for you. He cares about you. Give us today our daily, daily bread. God is so good. God is so good. I don't know how often you get paid. Some people get paid monthly. Some people weekly. Some people bi monthly. But he doesn't say, come to me every Friday. Come to me once a month. Your monthly bread, daily, daily provision. God's, God's blessing. That means if a day goes by without some manifestation of his care for you, of his provision for you, that daily bread, he wants it on a daily, on a daily basis. That, that's his heart. That's his desire. Give him an opportunity every 24 hours to let his favor rest on you, to show up in your life one way or another. He's looking for that opportunity. Jesus is teaching us, if you want to be effective in prayer, you've got to give God daily opportunities to break through in your situation. Demonstrate his love. He's a father that starts to get asked agitated, if you haven't come to him and said, Lord, I need your blessing. I need your provision. I need your leading. I need your guiding. I need your healing power. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need you today, Father. He wants to provide for you every, every day, daily bread. This, this isn't just like poetry that Jesus is giving us here. It's what the Israelites walked in on a real life daily basis. When they're going through the, the wilderness, that manna from heaven, every day, throw open the door of the tent. Breakfast is served. It's out He's prov- literally he's providing something for them, caring for them every day. That's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to provide for you on a daily basis. What, what is it that you need? Cast your cares on the Lord. Give us today. God, I need you today. I need you today. Come and help me. Help me in this situation. I'm relying on you. Give me today my daily, my daily bread. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts. Some translations say forgive us of our sins. This is huge. Jesus is teaching if you want to be effective in prayer, in your walk with the Lord, here's something that has to be dealt with. And it's right right in the heart of the Lord's prayer. Right in the middle. The the climax of this prayer sin has to be dealt with because sin is a barrier in your walk with the Lord. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. First one, we're gonna take a few minutes and talk about holiness. I told first service this. was we're talking about this, you're better off amening and nodding your head and not acting like you're shell shocked. When someone talks about holiness and you just sit there hard blinking, not not moving a muscle, people are just gonna assume you're involved in some kind of gross sin. So I'll give you a, a heads up. Amen, act like you're on board with what we're talking about. Isaiah chapter 59, verse one, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Verse one again, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. What's he saying? So when it comes to God's ability, God's ability is intact. God is still mighty to save. Your problems, whatever it is you're dealing with, God is more than able to handle whatever it is that you're facing. It's not that his arm is too short, that his hand is too weak. God could solve your problems easily. God could create a breakthrough. It's no problem to him. You know, even in, in James chapter one, when it asks, tells us that we can ask God for wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, you can ask of God, who gives liberally. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that he just he gives liberally, like he just gives you the same answer, the same wisdom over and over and over. God has an unlimited amount of wisdom. So when you've got a situation, you think, man, there's, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what to do. I'm in a spot here. There's nothing that I can do. Not for God. God has so many ways of solving that problem. He has so many ways of navigating around it, going through it, going over it, removing the problem. He, has, uh, he wants to give liberal wisdom. He's got thousands of ways to solve that problem that leaves you scratching your head. His arm isn't too short to save you. What's the problem? Verse two, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so they will not fear. God's not hiding his face from you. The sin that we allow in our lives hides his face from us. Sin is a barrier that cuts us off in our relationship with God. That's why God hates sin. Not because it really irritates him when you tell lies just for the sake of, of, he loves you and he doesn't want to be separated from you. That's why he hates sin. So you and I, in our love for God, need to learn how to hate sin as well. Sin will keep your prayers from being heard. It'll keep you at arm's length from God. So is there areas of sin that you've allowed in your life? Areas of sin that you've tolerated? that it 's a now what, why is Jesus saying this because he 's teaching us how to be effective in prayer. Maybe your prayer life is weak because you haven 't been walking in holiness. The, the standard that God has given us for holiness isn 't the community that we live in eh, people don 't seem to be bothered by this much. It seems like everyone 's kind of okay with the standard is God himself. He said, "Be holy as I am holy so if it doesn 't match his holiness we 've got some correcting, some repenting to do, and then he begins to list the different kinds of sin in verse three that we read God does does not tolerate sin. And so you and I cannot make room for sin in our lives. God wants us to walk in righteousness, in holiness, without zero tolerance for sin. Just this morning, I I was reading from Ezekiel chapter 43, when it's talking about the the temple. As it's talking about the temple and describing it, it says, and the basic law of the temple is absolute holiness. That's the basic law for the temple. Absolute holiness. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so the, the Bible tells us. So we can't just celebrate. How many know we're the temple of the Holy Spirit? I am the temple. I, and neglect the, the basic law of the temple is absolute holiness. That, that's the standard to be holy. So we got to identify sin and not make ourselves comfortable with it. We don't compare ourselves with other people. The standard is God's level of holiness, that level of righteousness. Lying is sin. Lying is sin. Sex with someone who you're not married to is sin. Homosexuality is sin. Fornicating with someone. That means what people do and stop short of actual sex but justify it because it's not actual sex. It's sin. Lust is sin. Jesus said, if you look at a woman, look at a man with lust in your heart, you've already committed fornication with them on, on the inside. It's sin. He said, you're better off gouging out your eye. Than putting up with that kind of nonsense. That's absolute holiness. That's that's the standard. Drunkenness, sin. Selfishness, sin. Pride, sin. Jesus said, if you make room for these in your life, if you tolerate them, because it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I've come a long ways. I don't do near the stuff I used to. Listen, there's a standard is holiness. And as long as you're okay, having a barrier between you and God, as long as you're okay, having an ineffective prayer life where his face is hidden and his ears closed to you. And even though he has the power and the desire to set you free and break through and move you forward, if you're okay being cut off from that, then go ahead and enjoy your sin. Otherwise we've got to have a zero tolerance attitude towards sin in our lives god has called us to holiness and you're able to walk in holiness by the grace of god don't, don't buy into the lie that it's you know that's just something we uh you know we aspire to, but you can't actually expect people not to sin. We we all sin every day. That that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus came to break the power of sin. That we're to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We're, we're set free. No longer slaves. We are, we've been liberated from that from the law of sin and death, so we can walk in righteousness and holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where you used to be weak, God has made it so now that's actually a strength for you. So you can't let yourself off the hook. Well, my family. We've all been kind of alcoholics. Listen, what used to be weak, now that's a place for God's strength to manifest. Now that's one of the places you are the strongest by the grace of God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. That you might not bow down to a little golden statue. It's when you love something else other than you love more than you love God. Your your idol might be the television or the computer or social media. All those things can be idols. If they have my heart more than God has my heart, it becomes an idol. It's talking about who can dwell in the presence of God. Only those. That means it's a limited group. It's a select group. God wants everyone but he doesn't accept everyone because he accepts them on the basis of their desire for him and for holiness. Only those, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their savior. Such people may seek you and worship you in your presence, O God of Jacob. Those people, the people that are pure hearts, clean hands, pure hearts, Devoted to the Lord. Those people, the blessing of God comes on. Those people can seek you, enjoy the presence of God. God welcomes them in. Now, it's not, not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of, of Jesus. That if we have sinned, the Bible says all of us have sinned, that we need to confess it and reject it from our lives. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. He forgives us. So if you find yourself this morning realizing, maybe you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realizing, man, I've tolerated some sin in my life. I've been walking in lust. I've been sleeping with this person. I've been, I've been engaged in drunkenness. I'm so proud. I'm so selfish. Don't allow condemnation to come on that, that drives you far from God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit reminds us I can come to God and he's faithful. He's so faithful and just to cleanse me and to forgive me of all of my sin. In Psalm 103, it says, don't forget. Don't forget the benefits of serving God. He forgives all of our sins, heals all of our diseases. God wants to forgive you. He's not looking to hold things against you, but you still need to get rid of them. He's he's looking to extend his mercy. That's why Jesus came, not to condemn people. That's why Jesus carried our sins so we wouldn't have to. He's not looking to drive people away. He came to reconcile people. But we, we've got to take advantage of that and call out to Jesus and rely on him and accept that, not, not only the forgiveness, repentance, repentance isn't just saying that I'm sorry. Repentance is turning and choosing not to engage in that behavior anymore. It's not, God, I'm, I'm a mess, I'm so sorry, then go re- right back to it. God, I'm done with this. By you, give me strength. I'll never do that again. I commit my life fresh to you and begin to walk in holiness and righteousness forgive us of our debts as we as we forgive our debtors forgive us of our sins doesn't stop there he says as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And this, this is so huge. I want to take the next couple of minutes just to focus in on this point. If you've got an area of sin that you need to repent of, I'm going to invite people in just a couple of minutes to the altar, just to kneel down, just present yourself as a living sacrifice. David took time to say, God, search my heart. See, I don't, I don't want to make sure that I'm pure and acceptable to you. We're going to take time to do that this morning, but we're also going to look at our forgiveness for one another. This is so huge that it's In the Lord's Prayer, it's the only point that Jesus immediately refers back to and makes remarks, kind of emphasizing the importance. In Matthew chapter six, if you're still there, right after the Lord's Prayer, in verse 14, it says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. It is imperative that you and I walk and freely forgive people, and don't allow ourselves to be offended, to hold grudges, to make a list of people that have upset us, this guy messed up here, I'll never talk to her again, uh, she, she did that, and I, I just can't stand her because of that. The, the way that we forgive others, says that's the way that God will forgive us. And if I refuse to forgive Jesus emphasizes that. Now, why, why is he talking about He's teaching. If you want to be effective in prayer, you've got to make sure that you walk in forgiveness towards people. Your relationship with other people affects your relationship with God. It affects your prayer life. As Peter is talking to husbands and wives, he, he even, as he's talking to husbands, giving us instructions on how we're supposed to treat our wives, he said, you, you need to treat your wife like this so that your prayers won't be hindered. That your prayer life is affected by the way that you treat people around you, husbands and wives, and all of us, the way that we forgive or don't forgive others. Flip over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brothers shall my brothers sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So one day, Peter comes to Jesus and asks this question, Hey, Lord, when, when people sin against me, when people like, do stuff wrong they offend me. How often should I forgive them? Should I forgive them up to seven times? Now, when he said seven times, that that number had significance beyond just being one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven in that culture, it represented a number of completion. It was like the ultimate, as much as it takes, all, all the way. So in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know that story from the book of Daniel, when those men refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And so they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance. Hey, listen, guys, we're going to play that music again. You better bow this time. They say, you know what? You don't bother giving us another chance. We're, we're never going to bow. And Nebuchadnezzar gets all, all angry and upset. And says that his face became contorted with anger. And he ordered that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter. What he was saying was not take out a thermometer and stick in the fire. And it's 1,000 degrees. And add enough wood. I want it 7,000. And when it got to 7,000 degrees, there was a little ding. It's ready. Let's go ahead and throw them in. What he was saying is, get this thing as hot as we can possibly get it. Seven times meant get all, all the way, the number of completion. Load that furnace up, get it ultimately hot. So that, that's what the number seven meant. So when Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? Should I, should I forgive them seven times? He's, he's not being petty. He's not saying I've got this little forgiveness chart. How, how how many like boxes should I make? Should I make out to seven? He's actually kind of like strutting a little bit. Hey Lord, I've been thinking about forgiveness. How many times should I forgive somebody? Because I was kind of thinking seven all the way. Like he's going to impress Jesus or something with his level of with his level of forgiveness. But Jesus responds like. How about seven times 70? The ultimate number, just, just, you're thinking about it all wrong. We're not trying to measure forgiveness and think about how forgiving we are. That's not the way grace operates. Real grace, the grace of God, stuff just disappears into it. It's the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, that's the kind of forgiveness God wants us to walk in. He wants you and I to extend the same kind of mercy to others that we've experienced from him. In fact, Jesus goes on to share this, share this story. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus tells a story to illustrate the importance of forgiveness. And he said one day there's this guy who owed the king, owed the master a lot of money and the, the master is settling accounts and calls him in. It says that he owed him 10,000 talents. Now a talent, if you look it up, can mean different things depending on what it's talking about. But if it's talking about gold talents here, and some commentators believe that it is, that a a talent of gold was 200 pounds of gold. That's one talent, 200 pounds. The neat thing about when the Bible's talking about gold and silver is that you you can look today and just kind of take it over with today's value because you can see what gold and silver is worth now. So that, that's what I did. I looked up gold. This, this past week, gold was a little over $1,800 per ounce, 16 ounces in a pound. A talent is 200 pounds. And this guy owed the master 10,000 talents, each talent being 200 pounds. So you can calculate that. It's nearly $60 billion worth is what this guy owed him, $60 billion. This guy didn't stand a chance of paying that debt. And that's that's the point. That's why Jesus is using extravagant, this extravagant number. It's overwhelming. In fact, imagine if you owed somebody, you just found out, you got a, a notice in the mail, we 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 did some different stuff with the tax laws this year, kind of tweaked some stuff. By the way, you owe 60 billion. That's it, impossible. I mean, how are you gonna pay 60 billion dollars? I took that number and I, I plugged it into one of those loan calculators online. What, what would it look like if I owed 60 billion dollars? probably going to take a while to pay it back. So I spread it out over 60 years, 5% interest. Your monthly payment would be over $250 million. Yeah, your monthly payment imagine, how in the world am I going to pay $250 million every single month over the life of the loan? You'd pay over $100 billion in, in interest. So just, you begin to, if you actually start to let yourself go there, I mean, it's overwhelming. You can feel yourself like sinking, that you're just going to continue to fall further and further behind. You don't stand a chance at paying that kind of debt. And that's the point Jesus is making. This man found himself in a situation that he had no chance of paying it. Even if the master did take him and his family, his children, all his possessions, and sell them. It's not going to touch the debt that he owes. This guy doesn't have 60 billion worth of kids and things sitting around his house. It's not going to pay off the debt. So the master says, you know what? Release the man. When he asked asked for mercy, he begged for mercy. Have have mercy on me. You know what? Let him go. And You're forgiven. You don't owe me a thing. You don't owe me a thing. Now, you know who this story is about, right? You know who this story's about? It's about you. This is a story about you. It's a story about me. That what we owe because of our sin, that we have a debt, that we had no chance no chance of ever, ever coming up with a way to pay off what I owe because of my sin, because of my depravity, because of my, my lack of ability, that I need a master like the master in this story that I owe so much. I, there's, I don't stand a chance. I need mercy. I just need him to do something on my behalf to wipe out the debt, and that's exactly what he did. But the master in this story had an expectation that that one who'd been forgiven much would then walk with the same kind of compassion to other people and when he found out that that wasn't happening he became angry he said it turned him over to the torturers said so my father will do with you if we don't extend the same kind of mercy and grace so the mercy that we experience from God God knows that we're human he just he knows we don't have what it takes there's no payment options it's just he's just gonna have to be gracious and kind and overlook overlook our shortcomings so that's the attitude that we're supposed to have with one another, to understand the people you're dealing with, they're people, they're people, you're dealing with people that you can't hold them to your own personal standard, the level that you want everyone to perform at. They've got annoying habits, they show up late, they say stupid stuff. What, what if God began to nitpick every little thing that you did wrong? I mean, you. you that's all they ever get done, right? So you and I are supposed to extend other people the same mercy that we would be gracious and kind. And when people do have faults, we don't just point them out. If it's an area of sin, we try to restore them, we try to help them, but we're supposed to deal with each other with the same kind of grace that we've experienced. Ephesians 4:32 says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. The same kind of tender-heartedness the same kind of kindness, the same kind of forgiveness, that's the standard for you and I forgiving one another. The enemy has worked, and unfortunately in a lot of situations been successful, at causing the body of Christ to be some of the most easily offended people. Easily offended. You don't get greeted right. Someone does something you don't like. Someone's in your seat, in your parking spot. I mean, people get offended. All kinds of crazy stuff in the church. But you can understand why that's such a strategy of the enemy. Because if he can get you to have grudges against different people, you didn't forgive him, you're or for her, you got a bone to be picked with this person over here, what happens? If I don't forgive people, I've cut myself off from the forgiveness that I need. And when I cut myself off from the forgiveness that I need, My prayers are ineffective because there's a barrier between me and God. So it's just this domino effect of negative things happening in our life. If I refuse to be gracious and kind and forgiving, it's so important. Whatever hurts, whatever damage you've sustained by other people, not for their benefit, for your own benefit, that you choose to forgive them. Just let it go. Be gracious. As you're dealing with people, people do stuff irritating, just overlook it. Choose to be kind and gracious and loving the same way that God is always gracious and loving with you. You know, one of the other things that happens when we don't forgive, we've talked about it before, but we're talking about unforgiveness now and it's so important, is that when you choose not to forgive someone, someone did something, you hated what they did. That guy was so mean to me, so cruel. That person was so hostile towards me, I'll never forgive them. You don't don't put an end to what they did. You actually perpetuate what they did. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but people's behavior is like fruit, right? The Bible tells us by someone's fruit, you know them. You can, just like you can identify a tree. If it grows pears, it's a pear tree. If it grows apples, it's an apple tree. Well, people's, people's behavior is like fruit. There can be love and kindness and patience. That's good fruit. But sometimes people's lives have bad fruit. People are harsh and cruel, selfish, proud, mean-spirited. And that's a negative fruit. So if someone is mean to you, you receive some negative fruit. And I'm, man, I'm never going to forgive that person. They, they, they dealt me this negative hand. My dad was so mean. This person abused me. That guy cheated me in a business deal. I hate that guy. And you hold on to the fruit. Jesus said in John chapter 20, what you forgive will be forgiven, or what you forgive will be released. But he says what you don't forgive won't be forgiven. Or literally, what you retain will be retained. So you have that fruit, and you, uh, you don't forgive it, so you hold on to it. But inside that fruit is the very seed that produced that fruit in the first place. So when you hold on to it, you actually set yourself up to begin to relive the very thing that you hate. When someone was mean to you and you don't forgive them, you actually start to develop that same mean spirit. When someone was abusive to you and you don't forgive them, you actually have the seeds of that same abuse festering in your life. It's like the parable of the the sower, only an inversion of it. In the parable of the sower, the, the parable that he's sowing seed and it falls on the different kind of soil and you get to the end and one produces a harvest. What what soil? What soil produced a harvest? Jesus said it was the one that held on to it, received, retained it, and it produced a harvest. So if you want those negative seeds to produce a harvest and begin to manifest in your life, you hold on to them. Otherwise, you've got to reject them. You've got to release those things in your life. In marriages, someone was cruel, someone was mean. You never quite get over it. You kind of always keep bringing it up. You're perpetuating that in your marriage. It's a lack of affection, a lack of kindness. You never quite get over it. You find yourself starting to find other ways to rob the other person of affection and kindness. And marriages slowly fall, fall apart. The thing that you don't forgive, you're holding on to it it begins to reproduce. In the parable of the sower, one of the seeds that failed to reach maturity and it never bore fruit was the one that had the weeds grow up and choke it out, cut off its life, keep it from fruitfulness. When we've got good seeds, we don't want that to happen. But we're talking about bad seeds. We want the opposite to happen, right? So instead of those, those weeds in that parable of the sower were anxiety, worry, the cares of this world. They choked it out and kept it from growing. So instead of anxiety, we want the opposite to happen. Instead of anxiety, we need the peace of God to well up in our hearts and choke out every negative thing that's been planted and keep it from bearing fruit and reproducing in our lives to allow the peace of God to get a stranglehold on whatever other people have done that we could cast our cares on the Lord and trust that He cares for us. I can trust Him and let that peace of knowing I've got a good heavenly Father that I can, I can release. Casting our cares is not just casting the stress about the mortgage bill. That's part of it. But it's also, God, this, this wounded me. God, I'm releasing this thing. I care about this. This person said this and it hurt me. They did this and it, it messed me up. I can't quit thinking about it. To cast my cares, to release those things to the Lord, knowing, man, this person, they didn't care about me at all, but you, Father, you care for me. God, you, you want to take good care of me. It helps you to understand how the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. That's what it says in Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God will guard. If the peace of God is watching over your life to strangle out anything that the enemy would try to produce a harvest of that doesn't belong there, it's guarding your heart and guarding your mind. So I want to do a couple of things this morning. Just a minute. Pastor Jonathan and the band are going to play. I'm going to invite people for two different reasons. One, to come and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Lord, purify my heart. Lord, deal with my heart. Lord, I realize there's sin in my life. Lord, I've allowed, I've tolerated this area. Maybe it's a big thing, maybe it isn't. To come and allow God to deal with your heart in genuine repentance if we want to be effective in prayer. The other thing is to come, and if you need to forgive someone, to receive grace, to let that go, to release it, to cast your cares on the Lord. You know, one of the people you might need to forgive is yourself. It's one of the hardest people to forgive sometimes is you. That, 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 that applies here. Just because you have a grudge against yourself doesn't mean that you're off the hook. If I don't want my kids to hit anybody, so they start punching themselves in the face, I'm like, yeah, that's fine, Just, as long as it's you. No, I don't hit my kids, and you're one of my kids, don't hit yourself, right? This applies. If you don't forgive yourself, you're retaining the same thing. You're, the very thing, I hate myself for this. Why did I ever do that? You're setting yourself up to do the same thing over and over and over. You've got to let it go. For God, I receive your mercy. You you forgive me and I forgive me. You're clean. You're clean. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.